Well, one of the things that uh, you will know, if you're here uh, at Heights Christian Church, as was mentioned earlier by Chris, we go through the Bible every five years. And uh, we do that by reading together uh, six days during the week. And then our sermon is in whole or in part from the passages that we've read. Our schedule for year two is out on the information desk. And that's one way you can follow us and and be reading the same things in the scripture that we're reading together. And the other place you can go to is our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church. And you can subscribe, click the bell for notifications. And we do devotionals from our daily readings. We read the entirety of that scripture, but we bring application for it that you can do on a weekly basis. But what's so unusual about today is we're kind of in a hiatus as far as our reading time is gone. So some of you guys are like, this feels weird, right? How many of you are like, this is weird? This is like, this, this ain't right. I'm so used to it because we're about three or four weeks without any scheduled reading during this time as we end the year, as we have Christmas. And this particular sermon has no scripture that goes with it during the week. So I'm kind of on my own on what God would have me to preach on this year's end sermon. And so what God has been convicting me of a lot lately is what I want to talk about. And so the sermon title today is called Preaching to Myself, and I've had David uh, come forward and bring forth a mirror so that I can catch a glimpse of myself every once in a while because I'm not any different than you guys. A lot of times these sermons that, that come forth are not things that I'm preaching to you, it's I'm preaching, it's the role God has given me, but oftentimes what happens as a pastor is you're preaching that sermon to yourself before you ever bring it to everybody else. And today especially so because today it's about things that God has personally convicted me of that I believe is not unique to me. And yet at the same time, I believe it is unique to me. And so I've got a mirror here to remind myself that this is who I'm preaching to. So welcome to my sermon to myself. And I pray that God uses it to encourage you as well. I have been walking with Jesus for 30 years now. It's an amazing thing to think about. I have now lived more in Christ than I did before I knew Christ. And that blows me away. Because there are some parts of my life that I remember before I knew Christ that are still so vivid as to where I was before Jesus found me. How many of you can relate? How many of you can say, yeah, I I totally remember where I was before I knew Jesus and what he has done in my life. And I remember the initial change in my life. When I came to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, I remember just being so enamored with everything that has to do with Jesus. I was, you think I'm annoying now? Man, I was annoying then. Everything was about Jesus. I loved talking about Jesus. I loved reading about Jesus. I, this newfound faith was just so vibrant and alive. I worked at the bank at the time. And when, when I would do things for Christ, I, I, would, I would bring a little like God's promises types of things. And in between customers working at the bank, I would open it up and I would read those scriptures that were there. I had spent my time at the bank so long that I actually did a Bible study while I was there because I was just excited for others to know about Jesus. 
Halloween would come around, it was one of my favorite, favorite holidays of the year. Not because of all the witchcraft or demon worship or whatever else. It's the one time of the year people would come to the door, knock on the door and say, give me something. And I would give them Bibles. Me and Shannon would go out. We One year, we went out, got Bibles, ran out of Bibles, drove to Walmart just to get the little $5 gift Bibles and hand them out to people. It was so fun to do. We had an opportunity to share Christ any and every way possible. I would wear Christian t-shirts like I am today. I would do so on purpose. Try to find the one that would garner the most attention that somebody else might comment on it. Just so I could get into a conversation on it. All of those things I did. And it wasn't, I didn't feel bullied into it. I just wanted to do all of those things. And it wasn't legalistic. It wasn't like I have to do everything and I can enjoy nothing. I I had this, this freedom of enjoyment of other things. Right? I could go out and enjoy like me and Shannon at the time drove down to Disney World and I'm wearing Christian t-shirts at Disney World hoping some of the staff there will pay attention to me and pay attention to the shirt, which we actually had people who actually said that. I was so encouraged by being able just to plant seeds all along the way. I wanted to do it. I wanted to. There's something freeing about that. I would go to Bible college and I'm just more and more enamored about all the things I was learning about Jesus. Man, it's just awesome, right? You just want to share. And you do share often. And, and not just that, you're burdened to share. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. You're just Your mind is on Jesus. I would go out to malls and other crowded places and I would think about all of these people and my mind would wonder as to whether or not these people know Jesus or don't know Jesus. What could I do? What, what seed could I plant? How could I pray? Could I pray for an opening for one of those people to just come and talk to me for just a moment so I could share Jesus with them or plant a seed about Jesus with them? Man, I remember all of that. How freeing all of that was. And then I grew up I came here, which was awesome, and I got to minister to so many youth, which is awesome, but somewhere along the way, this faith that I had started to feel like a job, not because I'm the pastor, this had nothing to do with my position here, just the idea of the sharing of Christ and the burden that I would have and the joy that I I want to be able to bring to somebody else, it started becoming a a duty rather than a joy. Not that it's not a duty, but it should should be one that I'm reflecting on certain things. And I feel very much like the church of Ephesus that Jesus talks to in Revelation. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along and turn with me. We'll be in different places throughout the word today. But to the church in Ephesus, the first church that Jesus addressed in the Revelation, 
And it says this in the first seven verses, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Hold right there. These are a lot of good things mentioned to the people of Ephesus. They are faithful to God. They don't tolerate false teaching. They are calling out those who are false teachers and doing what is right according to God. They have persevered through hardship. They have stayed and remained faithful. And these are things that Jesus praises them for. I would like to hope and think that that's something that I am doing. But it continues from there in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you. Remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So you look at all these great things that you're doing, that you've persevered, that you still are standing firm on Jesus, but you've forgotten your first love. All of that excitement, that exuberation, the anticipation of being able to share Jesus around with other people has kind of gone away. The opportunity to see God and the glory of God in everything that you saw and did. Man, when I was a new believer, that's all I saw. It's like, man, I see Jesus in everything. I wish I could say that now, but I don't always do that. I don't always think about it in that way. And God's been really pushing that upon me. And it leads to a question that I wrestle with or have been wrestling with. One that I think has an obvious answer, but I think there's a difference between having an obvious answer and practically living that obvious answer out. And the question is this, do we or do I really need Jesus? I mean, seriously, like I said, in the back of our minds, we can think of what we just went through with our great Romans series. I loved going through Romans. How many of you loved going through Romans? That was awesome. If you did not go through Romans, if you wanted to know what it was to know our need for Jesus, what Jesus has done for you and me, I really encourage all of you, listen to that entire series. First three weeks that I was able to share through the first 11 chapters, the last week where Paul shared in the last four chapters, just amazing to talk about the need we have for Jesus and what he has done for us and why we should be serving him with our lives. I would encourage all of you to go back into that and check it out. I think that if 
you do, we, we get to that point. Like I said, it's an academic question. Do I really need Jesus? Of course, the answer is yes, right? How could we not need Jesus? That our need for our sin, the recognition of how depraved we are and what Jesus has done for us, that we could not fix ourselves, but he in his grace and mercy because he created us for himself, by himself, and redeemed us for that same reason. Yeah, I need Jesus. Absolutely. But I don't always live like I need Jesus. Why don't we always live like we need Jesus? Why do I live like I don't always need Jesus? And since I'm preaching to myself, I'm going to hit on the things that hit me. This may hit you and it may not hit you. But these are the things that God has been convicting me of. Number one is this. We are distracted in our comfort. We are distracted in our comfort. Jesus talks about this actually very, um, um, I don't know, how, I don't even know the word I'm looking for here. Um, Jesus talks about this very directly in Luke chapter 12. That's the word I was looking for. It's a parable we don't quote very often. It's the parable of the rich fool. It's found in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, and it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You know, I used to spend my spare moments in prayer. I used to spend those little moments in between. When they got this electronic version of the NIV, I would take that little electronic version with me everywhere and I would read it in my spare moments, I still have it. Thought about bringing it today, but you can't read it because it's it's one of those old things. It's like the old Nintendo and stuff like that, where it has little lines on it, and some of those lines have burnt out, so it doesn't work as well. I keep it just because it reminds me of those times that I would spend just a spare moment or two. I had two minutes. I'd be in the Word. I'd be two minutes. I'd be praying for my coworkers. I'd have two minutes. I would do that. You you know what we do now. You know what I do now? You know what many of you do now? We're on our phones, aren't we? 
Two minutes worth of time, here and there and everywhere. Little game here, little article to read, little video clip that we can watch, just so that we won't be unentertained. And all the while we wonder why we're not drawing close to God and we don't see the need for Jesus in our life is because we've been distracted in our comfort. We have so much. And I'm not trying to diss the comfort that we have, but let's just think about it. It's crowded out things that God doesn't want us to crowd out. And I speak to myself, but I know I'm not the only one. The second thing, why don't we live like we really need Jesus? Is we think we have all the time in the world. I can't tell you how many people who live in New Mexico and then move from New Mexico talk about all the places that they didn't visit, that they wanted to visit while they were here because it was always easy because they were here. I could do it any time. Then why didn't you? Because I don't know. They have to come back on vacation to do all the things that they should have done when they lived here. Or vice versa. Maybe you come from someplace else and you can say, man, I wish I would have done that when I lived there. Man, I I had that opportunity right there and I, I didn't do it. Right? You know, same thing with us. We think we have all the time in the world. How many of you have made plans in your mind to talk to friends and family and others about Jesus? I got all the time in the world. They're right down the street from us. I can talk to them anytime. I will make a plan to make sure that I tell my friends or I can tell somebody else. I, I can live for Jesus right now. We think we have all the time in the world. Ephesians chapter 5 Verses 15 and 16 hit on that very idea. And it's always stood out to me, these verses. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That that phrasing doesn't say the days are few. Fleeting, moving by fast. No, the days are evil. Lulls us into a sense that we have forever. That we can continue living the way that we live without purpose or thought or anything else. And tomorrow we can do the same. And God will give us all the same opportunities. I think it's a lie that I know I buy into way too much. Number three, why don't we live like we really need Jesus? Our eyes are on earthly things and not heavenly ones. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 4 puts it this way as Paul writes to the people of Colossae. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
I used to dream about Jesus coming back. It was an ever-present reality for me. Sitting down, working at the bank, I would sit down on a little, little you know, post-it note and draw a picture of Jesus with a quote, Behold, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. I really believe that. I, I had that in the back of my mind. That this could happen at any time. The imminent return of Jesus. Something that we're supposed to be looking forward to. You and I in the clouds. That's where he's coming. That I would daydream walking up and down. My grandmother's uh, driveway. A tenth of a mile out in the, out in the wilderness. Right? Looking up at the sky, realizing someday that sky is going to crack open and Jesus is coming back. And I can't wait. And somewhere along the way, I stopped thinking about that as much. I don't know why. Pressures of life, things that are always crowding things out. First John chapter 2, puts it this way. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. It's so easy to make all of our goals earthly ones, isn't it? All of the things that we're looking forward to, actually not being in heaven, but actually be right, being right here down on earth. And I'm not saying don't plan for the future, and I'm not saying don't have earthly goals. But if we're really honest, or if at least I'm honest with myself, my earthly goals far outweigh my heavenly ones. And I don't know that that's where my, my God wants my mind to be. That as I am focused so much on this world that I leave out so many things of what God would want for me to make a difference to the people around me. With my time, my energy, my disciplines, my prayer life, being in the word, reading things that would help me to grow in my faith, seeing the beauty of God and just exclaiming it and just recognizing all of those things, wanting to see people and seeing the potential of those people if they would turn their minds and hearts to Jesus and how God might use me toward that end. Somehow I just kind of got life going. Every day. And it really comes down to this, you know, we, we need to be more heaven-minded. I need to be more heaven-minded. Talking to you right there. J.C. Ryle wrote this quote. He said, to be ever looking for the Lord's appearing is one of the best helps to a close walk with God. When was the last time you thought about, dreamt about 
wondered when Jesus was actually going to come back, that this is a reality, that is an absolute thing that's going to happen. How would that change you and me looking forward to all the things in the future with Christ? You know, I used to make tapes, tapes for your Sony Walkman. You guys remember those, right? That was a long time before we had the phones that do the playlist for you now. This is how you did it. Is you got on tape and then you recorded it. And if you had a boombox where you could record both of them, oh, it was so awesome. You would record it and I would record from the tapes that I had of Christian music in my early walk with Christ. I would record music specifically focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. I'd have whole tapes on it because I wanted to remember this. No, this is the ultimate reality. I need to be reminded of this. People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. I would listen to that. And the urgency of what it meant for me to live for Jesus during that time. And it wasn't, it wasn't overbearing. It was just something to keep that reminder before me. And somewhere along the way... I stopped doing that as much. Those little reminders that I would do to make sure that my eyes were not just here on earthly things, but on heavenly ones. Because that first question, do I or do we really need Jesus? We know the answer to it, but do we live it out? Because until we answer with an absolute yes, I am afraid that the second question often goes answered in a different way as well. And the second question is this. Do they really need Jesus? See, if I don't know my need for Jesus, how am I going to convince somebody else that they need Jesus? If I don't understand my absolute depravity on my own, And my hopelessness without him, how am I going to share the good news of what Jesus has done for me to a dying world that absolutely needs to know Jesus? Do they really need Jesus? Because if those things are true to us, it bleeds over to them too. And the question comes down for you and me and again, I'm preaching to myself, then why don't we live like they really need Jesus? I got three. Again, this is me. This may not be you, but I I have a feeling that some of these things bleed over. Number one is this. We have sin in our life and we don't want to be called a hypocrite. Just the truth. Lots of sinful things in this world. Very easy for all of us to fall into. I'm not an exception to that rule. And when we sin, do we feel worthy about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to other people? No, we don't. Because we don't recognize our need anymore. We're either trying to hide it or trying to hide how, how we're living so that other people don't see those faults and failings. I don't know what kind of church you thought you walked in here to. We're not 150 Jesuses. 
I'm sorry if that disappoints you. I still need Jesus. I still fail. I still fall. The Bible talks about one another passages. One of those one another passages is to forgive one another. You know why? Because we're going to wrong each other. We're going to sin. We're going to need to repent. We're going to need to turn away. And every single one of us falls into that category. And then we worry because the way we're living isn't lining up with the way Jesus wants us to live. And so we don't feel like we're worthy to share the good news of Jesus Christ to somebody else because we're not living in it. There's some validity to that. And there's some of the devil pointing his finger at you because guess what? This side of heaven, none of us are going to be perfect. Because we need to know the difference, as C.S. Lewis writes in uh, his essay on forgiveness. He talks about two remedies for this. And he says, look, a lot of times what people want to be forgiven for is really what they don't want. is They're not asking for forgiveness, they're asking to be excused. And there's a big difference between being forgiven and being excused because being excused says that I have an excuse for why I did what I did even though God doesn't want me to do that. Asking forgiveness is saying, I know I did that which is inexcusable and I'm asking you, O Lord, who died on the cross for my sin, past, present, and future, O Lord, not to look over it, for me to recognize what I have done is wrong before you. And by your grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, through something I cannot earn, I come before you humbly, beating my breast, just like the tax collector, where Jesus said, can't even look at his eyes toward heaven, says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, if that's your attitude, then that forgiveness for Jesus Christ that he's given to you through his blood shed on the cross is there for you. If it's on the other side, the excuse, well, I do so much more, and it's just an excuse that you might do those things again and again, then you got some issues that you got to settle with God because that's not forgiveness you're asking for. It's an excuse to keep doing those things. One is true repentance, and the other one is not. And we have to understand that While we're in the tent of this body and while we're still wrapped in this flesh that is weak, you and I have moments of failings that we have to own up to before God and say, God, that's 100% me. I don't want that to be me. I want to follow you. So forgive my sin so I can walk forward. And some days, we got to do that a lot. How many of you had bad days? Anybody? Where things just go worse and worse and worse. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a compounded snowball that you started and you continued. Right? Anybody have days like that? Is it just me? Okay, praise God. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But there are days where it just, it cannonballs out of control, where it's not just, I've messed up and I recognize it, and I messed up and I recognize it. And this is the hope that Jesus gives to you and me as believers in sinful flesh, still fighting ourselves all the way through. In Luke chapter 17, the first four verses, Jesus talks about it this way. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. 
And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. That dude had a bad day too, right? There are days where we have our sinful nature get the better of us. And our repentance is before the Lord, very real. That says, God, I don't want this to be a part of my life. It's 100% my fault. It's not what you've called me to do. I want to walk in that repentance and forgiveness. And he wants that for each one of us as believers in Christ. Without the excuses. And the whole charge of hypocrisy, oh, the world's going to say that anyway. You know why? Because we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. So it doesn't matter. You're going to hear it. But I'm not a hypocrite if I keep going back to the Lord. Who's washed me clean according to the blood of Christ. If we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all. What? Unrighteousness, right? If we confess our sin. First John chapter 1 verse 9. We believe that? Then his is the only voice we need to look to. So yeah, first thing is sin in our life prevents us from telling others because we don't think we're good enough. Sorry, none of us are good enough. If we were, we wouldn't need Jesus. So let's throw that excuse out out the back door, wherever it belongs, in the trash. So why else? What else prevents us from living like they need Jesus as much as we need Jesus. Number two, this one's going to be a hard one to hear, but understand I'm preaching to myself. We're worried about the comfort of our gathering rather than the salvation of their souls. We're worried about the comfort of our gathering rather than the salvation of their souls. Michael from Men's Prayer, we have like 20 Michaels at Men's Prayer, even though there's only like 17 people who show up, but we have 20 Michaels, okay? But one of the Michaels, I don't know his last name, and I asked David about it today, he's like, I don't know it either, and it's like, where's a tie? You get... Rose, thank you! Yay! One of the things that stands out to me at Men's Prayer every single week that I can remember He has a list of people he's praying for, and almost always on that list, I can't think of a time that it hasn't happened, it's somebody he shared the gospel with. You know, I got to talk to this person today, and I got to plant this seed and share the gospel with them. Can you pray for them, that they might come to know Jesus? Can you pray that they're struggling with this area? There is a heart for others that he has that I get encouraged with every single time we meet together in men's prayer. Always has somebody there. You know why? Because he is more concerned about the salvation of their souls and the comfort of their gathering together. And you know what? We, when we are more concerned about our comfort than their salvation, we have missed the mark. We have missed the mark. Think about it. We just had Christmas. We had family gatherings. How many of us sacrificed sharing Christ with somebody else so that we would have peace in our household? For a holiday. I speak to myself. 
talking to you right there. How many of us, because we didn't want the tension in the room, how many of us have majored on the minors and minored on the majors. Look, I love what we're trying to do here at Heights and all the stuff that we're hoping to do this next year. We've got a lot of really cool plans. But there comes a point when what we do on a Sunday morning, when it becomes more of the production value than the actual message of salvation as to what we're worried about when we're bringing people into this place, we missed the mark. And I can be guilty of that, wanting to fine-tune everything to sound so perfect, right? But then we start focusing on the small little things, which we should do well for the glory of God. Whether we're looking at, you know, the words that come up and the pro presenter people do an awesome job in the back. But guess what? You notice and I notice when they're off, right? How many of you notice when it's off? Come on, raise your hand. Is that why we're here? No, it's not why we're here. We're here to share and live in the good news of Jesus Christ and share that with everybody else. And yes, do we want to get better at what we're doing pro presenter-wise? And do we want to get better with the production value of what we're doing here? But everything that we're doing here has one reason, one reason only. It's to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we are more worried about our comfort and we think that that's what's going to win people to Jesus Christ rather than the salvation of their souls, the drawing of the Holy Spirit by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, we've missed the point we should be begging people to be here so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and not worry about something didn't go perfect don't get me wrong things aren't going to go perfect and we can be as hard on ourselves and I can be as hard on myself for things not going perfect, but that's not the reason why we're here. And so whether at home, and the comfort of our home, or the comfort of our church, and how things are presented, let us not forget that our goal is the salvation of other people's souls. It's not the production value. It's not the perfect gathering that we walk away and everybody's just happy because we all got along this one... You know what? Who cares? In eternity, in future eternity, who cares how great your thanksgiving was if you didn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Because in eternity, that's not going to matter all that much. And we forget that, which leads us to the third reason. The third reason that we don't, or I don't, live like they need Jesus. We don't really believe in the reality of the coming judgment. We don't live like it's real. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Paul puts it this way, and I love how he he puts it because he puts it in the idea that as believers in Christ, our goal, whether in the body or out of the body, is to please Jesus. 
And he says this, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. You know what? Because we know the coming judgment is here, and because we want to please the Lord, and we know that that coming judgment happens, we try our best to persuade men. You know why? Because they need Jesus. Whether they know it or not, that's what we're trying to do, to persuade them of their need of Jesus. You know why? Because I know I need Jesus. And I know that this judgment that's coming is real. It's spoken about all over the scriptures. What's a shame right now is that more and more people who call themselves Christians are following into this category of belief of universalism, that everybody's going to be saved. And part of the reason why we're going through the word of God is when we read the word of God, I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. I don't see that at all. I see just the opposite. Why does the path that leads to destruction narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it? We have that opportunity to point people to that only if we really see that they really need Jesus. A number of years ago, I, I used a video from Penn Gillette. Many of you may not have been here during that time, but I want to quote it because he was given a, a Gideon Bible by a man who had went to one of his shows and it made such an impression on him that he actually made a video and posted it online. It's about five minutes long. You can still find it there today. And in the midst of this video, this is what he said. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means share your faith for those of you who don't know. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people can be going to hell or not or getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's really worth telling them this because you, you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? One of the often overlooked quotes from Acts chapter 2. When we look in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter at the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes down and he goes and he proclaims boldly the good news of Jesus Christ to all these people who crucified him. Putting himself in danger in a way that he didn't do before Jesus rose from the dead. And after he has shared with all of these people and he's told them the truth and he said repent and be baptized every single one of you so that times refreshing may come and that God might give you the Holy Spirit you do these things you'll be saved if you believe in Jesus Christ the one whom God has made that cornerstone terrible paraphrase go read Acts 2 to yourself But at the end of that after he has said everything there in verse 40 there's this verse that has always stood out to me 
When he says, and with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. When was the last time you pleaded with somebody to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because it was that important? I'm talking to you. When was the last time? So easy for us to forget. You know, this place needs to be filled with people who need the hope of Jesus Christ. And that starts with us. And it extends to everybody else. And until we believe that we need Jesus this badly, we're never going to tell somebody else. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter has been put in prison and him and John are there before the Sanhedrin. And they're trying to get him to shut up about Jesus. And they said, you know, salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind for which we must be saved. Think about that. There's no other way. It's Jesus or nothing. But if we really believe that, we should be telling everybody. We should be looking and thinking about it all the time. We're with crowds of people, not in an overpowering way, but let's just be honest. We can become very distracted very easily by the things of this world. Forgetting our real need for Jesus. Thinking, man, I've already punched my ticket. Church becomes something that we do on a weekly basis and part of our routine rather than the gathering of believers to encourage one another to be more reliant upon Jesus so that we can go and tell that good news to somebody else who needs it. I want this place filled with people. But I'm speaking to myself. It's not going to happen until I go out there and start sharing this need of Jesus Christ to a world that needs him as badly as I do. So we're going to close a little different today. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm actually going to ask you to stay seated. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. No looking. This isn't a time for you to look. You and God. Me and God. I'm being very honest. This, this message, first and foremost, is for me. Everything right here that I'm talking about, I'm, I'm dealing with, I'm struggling with myself. I have no problem saying that to all of you. I want to get back to that place where I was, that freedom in Christ that I had. Beginning, just looking around and seeing all the great things of what Jesus has done in my life. And wanting to share that to the world around me. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to focus on the things of this world. But I want to see things change. 
Nobody's outside of, I guess, myself, but I'm not even trying to take note. How many of you need what I need? A refocus. A change. To realize my need for Jesus so that I could share very confidently, enthusiastically for a world that needs him. If that's you, I just ask right now. If you like me, raise your hand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray this day, dear Heavenly Father, that you help every single one of us. You help me, you help the others who raise their hands, you help the others who may not have the same problems that I do right now, Lord. I give you praise for that. That their eyes are focused on you. Maybe they're like Michael right now who I just look at and I'm thinking, man, I want that freedom to be able to share again. That enthusiasm for the great things that you have done in Jesus Christ. Oh God, would you help me fill my moments in, in between with prayer and your word and praise to your Heavenly Father and looking forward of what I can do for you, oh Lord. Without taking away the blessing that you've graciously given us but to seek a greater one Lord I pray in the name of Jesus that you help us with our family you help us with our friends you help us with those who are around us dear Heavenly Father to see their true need is Christ and not to be afraid to mention that need and all the gloriousness that you have done for us so they can see how good you really are It's worth it. It's worth any tension we have in our families. It's worth anything that we're going to go through. It's worth anything if in the end they say yes to Jesus because of their need. You know why? Because we know what our need is. And saying yes to you makes all the difference. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.